Well, now we are back in the book of Genesis. I'm going to read tonight from Genesis. Uh, we're going to look at Genesis 12, 1 through 9, but just to give a little bit of context, I'm going to back up to chapter 11, a few verses, uh, Genesis eleven twenty nine. Genesis 11, verse 29 through chapter 12, verse 9. Then Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. The name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and the father of Iscah. But Sarai was barren. She had no child. And Terah took his son, Abram, and his grandson, Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law, Sarai, his son, Abram's wife. And they went out with them from Ur of the Chaldeans, to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran and dwelt there. So the days of Terah were 250 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord said, had said to Abram, Get out from your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, as far as the terebinth tree of Morah, and the Canaanites were then in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So Abram journeyed, going on still toward the south. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we've returned to the book of Genesis. And from this point forward, the rest of the, the rest of, really you could say the rest of the Bible focuses on just this one family, this one family from the man Abraham. And so, in some ways, you could say everything from chapters 1 through 12, that was the setup to introduce Abraham and the context of this whole world and what God is going to do with the family of Abraham, the line of Abraham, to the end of the days. Now, what do we know about Abraham here at the start of his story? Well, we know, first of all, Abraham was old. It's kind of weird to have a story start and introduce someone when he's already 75. That's verse 4. We also know this about Abraham. Abraham was closely tied to his extended family. As a man, Abram emigrated to another country with his father, Terah, and with his adult nephew, Lot, and, and all of their households. So he's closely tied to his family. Family is important to Abram. We also know this about Abram. Abram was prosperous. He was rich. He owned a large business. That's verse 5. 
Here's another thing that we know about Abram. 75, all their marriage, Abram and his wife Sarai, struggled with fertility issues. They had no children. That's back in Genesis 11. And then for a person who places such a very high importance on family, that meant that Abram had no family of his own. He had an extended family, but he and Sarai, 75 years old, he had no children. But late in life, when most of your life seems like it's already played out, Abram experiences the biggest and the most significant changes in his life. The things that happen after he turns 75, they completely overshadow everything that happened before he was 75. Well, how does this play out? Let's look at what Abram's life teaches us. Because Abram is going to spend decades waiting. Waiting for what? Well, he's waiting for a big promise to come true. And at this point, uh, I want to begin our time by speaking about the covenant that God makes with Abram. Because this is, this is part of what's knit into the life of Abram that, that carries forward all the way to the end of the Bible. Let's look at some of them, uh, some aspects of this, this big promise that God makes to Abram. And you can see these in verses 1 through 3 here. God is making a very rich promise to Abram. And God's promise to Abram encompasses a personal blessing to Abram, a generational blessing to Abram, and a global blessing for Abram. Those are not the three points of the sermon, but I am going to talk about them now. All this is in verse 2, this, this personal blessing. He says in verse 2 to Abram, I will bless you and I will make your name great. I will bless you, Abram, and I'll make your name great. And then there's this general, generational blessing to Abram. He says to Abram, I'm going to make you a great nation. So it's something that's going to change through generations. And then he's, he says he's going to make Abram a global blessing. He says, you shall be a blessing in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, you want to try to conceive of the scope, the magnitude of God's big promise to Abram. You don't, you don't hear promises this sweeping that people will make to you and you, you find it has credibility. You don't hear God making these kinds of huge promises that often. Look at the scope of, of God's big promise to Abram. The personal blessing where he says, I will give you a great name. Now, do you, do, you, do you hear how significant that would be? There are, there are plenty of people that long for a great name, people who long to be significant, to be known, and to end their life with significance, to have importance, to have recognition. And maybe that's what drives many people to, to overwork, to neglect family, to neglect their health, so that they can become significant, at least in a way that they think they'll become significant. God says to Abram, I'm going to give that to you. You're going to have a great name. You're going to enjoy prominence, and it's going to be substantial. And he says, and this is also what's going to be great about your name. He says, people are going to oppose you. It's not going to be something that just is easy for you, Abram. There will be people who are against you, but their opposition is going to be unsuccessful. He says in verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. There, there's something in that promise of just this personal promise of greatness that would give Abram satisfaction and would also give him security. Satisfaction. 
all these people who, and maybe you're one of them, maybe crave recognition. Maybe it, it doesn't have to be the greatest across, across the country, but just couldn't I just have minor greatness? Couldn't I just be known in my town or, or in my neighborhood or, or in this organization as like one of the key figures? I, I crave to be recognized, to be valued and respected in my, my community, to have the respect of my peers, to hold honor. Just How about just in the eyes of my extended family? That would be satisfying. God says, I'm going to give that to you, Abram. I will make you, I will make you great. And, and if, you, if you're someone who's looking for greatness, you long to have even just minor greatness in life. There's a greatness that you can pursue and you can pour all your sweat and effort into it. Maybe you'll find it, only a few do, but it doesn't satisfy so often This is talking about a greatness from God that only God can give. Only God can give. You can't earn it, but you can receive it from him. This is what God's promising to Abraham. And there's a satisfaction that's bound up in this. There's also security. Some people, they do. They pursue greatness, and it's conferred on them. They they make it. They amass wealth. They achieve some position for them that represented greatness. Maybe they, they make tenure. Maybe they get a grant. Maybe they become a stakeholder in their business, or they become the favored one in the extended family. But it's not secure. They find themselves, they're, they're always vigilant, always scanning for threats that will erode the position they've hit and potential enemies that may threaten it. But God guarantees Abraham, you're going to be secure in your greatness. He guarantees security. He says, people will come against you, but even if they curse you, even if they attempt to harm your reputation, God says, it's like that proverb, whoever digs a pit against you, for you, they're going to fall in it. Whoever's rolling a stone, it will roll back on him. And what if you, what if you could face someone who hates your guts, someone who despises you, and you would not have to worry at all about their attack? You would hear it, you would recognize the animosity, but it just wouldn't, it wouldn't ruffle you. What if you could have someone curse you and rail on you online and say all this trash about you, and it just wouldn't keep you up at night? If you could have that, you'd have security. And that's what God promises to Abram. Now, the promise from God is personal here to Abram, but it's also generational. To, to this, you could say he was geriatric. This geriatric man, 75 years old, with no children, the Lord says, I will make you a great nation. So there's a generational promise. What is God saying? He's saying, you have no family, Abram, but you will have a family. Right now, today, you've got nothing in sight, no prospect about that, but from your family that does not even exist, from your family will emerge many families. And from those many families will emerge an entire country. And that's the nation of Israel. And 4,000 years later, that nation, Israel, that country still exists. Now, this, is, this generational promise to Abraham, it's going to play out much more. In the, in the chapters to come. But just recognize here that God is promising to Abram things that extend past what that man is going to live to see. The promise to Abram is personal. The promise to Abram is generational. The promise to Abram is also global. And so this is another thing you need to know about God's covenant with Abram. He says, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. It was going to be through Abram that God was 
going to work global good. He says, in you, Abram, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, you know, there's some people that are just, they're very active in cultivating what they post online, their social media accounts, and they're, they're wishing that they could post something, they could write something, some image, some thought, some idea that would go viral. Even if it was just for five days, they would, they would like to have five days of national fame, five days of global fame. Abraham, God is saying, you are going to bring such benefit to the world that even now, 4,000 years later, we are still talking about this man, Abram, and his family. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? You just step back and think about it. This promise that God made 4,000 years, years ago, could anyone else start something, something rolling, and keep it rolling, not for a year, but for thousands of years, and still start a movement that still has reach across the world? Well, this is the covenant with Abraham. Here, a verse in Genesis 12. We've only got just one plank in it. When you think about the covenant of Abraham, there are really uh, three extended chapters where the covenant with Abraham is unfolded and, and another plank is added and another plank. You've got the Abrahamic covenant. It's introduced here in Genesis 12, but you have even more added in Genesis 15, and then you've got even more added in Genesis 17. So this is just the introduction to the covenant with Abraham. But let me give you a broad picture, an even bigger picture of the entire Bible, how this promise to Abraham, it fits into the big story of the entire Bible. This covenant with Abraham continues through the Bible and it becomes Christianity. The Abrahamic covenant becomes the Christian faith. We'll see this in the coming weeks. I'm just setting the table and it's, it's, a, it's a forward reference just for now. But what, what did Abraham do? What will Abraham do with the big promise from God? What would you do if God gave you a promise this big, global, personal, generational? Well, for the remainder of our time, that's what I want to talk about. And this is what we're going to see. God's big promise calls us to believe, to leave, and to delight. God's big promise calls us to believe, to leave, and to delight. And so this is the first thing we see. God's big promise calls us to believe. Imagine if, if you were to try to approach one of our church members, one of our older church members, someone who's over 65, someone who's over 70, and you were to tell them, I've got an idea, and I've come into a lot of money. I would like to start a charitable foundation in your name. We would call it the, whatever your name is, foundation. Now, you've heard of other charitable foundations, you know, Pew, uh, Rockefeller, all these other ones. The oldest functioning charitable foundation in America goes back about 400 years. But what if I came to you and I proposed starting a charitable foundation in your name that would endure not just 400 years, but 4,000 years. What if I told you that this charitable foundation, the idea that I have, that it would have planetary reach, not just to do good in this city, 
not just in this state, but for all the nations on planet Earth? And what if I told you that the work of this foundation, this huge idea that I'm proposing to you, what if I told you that the work of the foundation would be staffed by people that you have never met? People who aren't even born yet. Now that sounds pleasant to imagine. Sounds like I've got a pretty good imagination. But wouldn't you be at least a little bit skeptical? Like, okay, that's a, that's a big idea, but that's just an idea. God made giant promises to Abram and Abram believed God. Verse one, now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. God spoke to Abram, and Abram believed God. That is faith. That's faith. With only a promise, with only words from God, Abram trusted God. You'll notice here that there's no miracle. There's no miracle, no fire that just drops down from the clouds and ignites branches of wood on an altar. The only miracle is that God speaks to Abram. That's it. And how, how did he do it? Was, it? was it a dream? Was it an audible voice? We don't know, except that Abram knew God was speaking to him. He knew what God was telling him. Now, let's talk about ourselves. We have, we have the words of God today. Abram didn't have a Bible, but we have a Bible. In Abram's day, the Bible would not finish being assembled for another 2,000 years. But you have a Bible. The perfect, in your Bible, you have the perfect God-exhaled words. That's all in your Bible. And your Bible is useful for teaching you. Your Bible is useful for stopping you when you're, you're going off the rails. Your Bible is useful for correcting you and training you to know how to live rightly how to live right, how to think right, how to make decisions that align with the will of God. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for correction, for reproof, for instruction in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. You've got a Bible. Do you believe the things written in your Bible. Now, there's going to be plenty of things, plenty of things that are hard to understand in the Bible. Even Peter said that. Peter, speaking of some of the writings of Paul, says some of what Paul writes is difficult to understand. But do you have a core commitment, a core commitment to believe it, even if you can't fully understand it? That is what Abram did. Abram didn't fully understand what God had in mind, but Abram believed. Abram didn't fully understand how God would fulfill his promise, but Abram believed it. Well, how about you? Do you believe the things that are written in your Bible? Do you believe, even if you can't prove them, is your mentality, let God be true and every man a liar? That means, do you believe that God is good? Because your Bible says it. Do you believe that God is good when it seems like only bad is coming your way? That means, do you believe that Jesus will receive you? Because he said so, even when the whole world seems to reject you. That means, do you believe that the Holy Spirit dwells in you and dwells in you to the rest of your life, even though you feel all alone in the crowd? Do you believe that God has set apart the Sabbath day to be holy? Do you believe the words of God? Do you believe 
and receive the promises of God. So we must believe the big promises of God. And if we believe the big promises of God, second, we must leave. This is in verses four through six. We must also leave because Abram believes the big promises of God, Abram leaves. Verse one, the Lord says, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. And then verse four, so here's where he leaves. Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Because he believes, Abram leaves. Faith produces follow-through. It's not just you have a different way of thinking. It, turns, it translates from your head into your hands, into your feet. This is the link between faith and obedience. If you believe, you obey God. Hebrews 11.8 makes this very clear about Abraham and about faith and obedience. Hebrews 11.8, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Just look at a few aspects of Abraham's obedience here. Look at how he obeys. He obeys God when he does not fully understand. Verse one, the Lord says to leave and to go to a land that I will show you. Hebrews 11 points out that Abraham believed and obeyed even though he did not know where he was going. But how many times for you and for me, how many times do we delay our obedience? Do we hold back? Do we skeptically wait longer than we should to obey because we lack details? Because we want to have a fuller explanation, a fuller detailed assurance and guarantee of if I do this, will this bad thing happen? Will this thing come through for me? We just don't know, and so we delay. We're, we're almost demanding from God, I'm not going to take a step forward until you give me some more details. Maybe you're in some kind of relationship that you need to exit. But maybe you're in some kind of relationship that you need to enter. You need to pick it back up. You need to go into it. And so it, maybe it's, it's something that's very clear from God's word. Maybe you're dating an unbeliever, but the word says do not be unequally yoked. Or there's a relationship you need to enter. You're lingering outside a relationship with the, the people of God. Outside, you're, you're not entering into a relationship with the congregations of God's people. But you know the Bible says not to forsake the gathering together in churches, but you're hesitating. He- hesitating to exit, hesitating to enter. You're hesitating because you're afraid. You want to know, well, what will happen if you leave? What will happen if I join? What if, what if this is my only chance to get married? Or, or what if this church, what if it turns out to have toxic people in it? Abraham obeys even when he does not fully understand. Well, what does that mean for you? It means something like this. It means you need to be certain even when you're uncertain. You need to be certain even when you're uncertain. Abram is certain of God's word. And so he obeys God even when he is uncertain of how it's going to work out for him. Sometimes God wants you to take risks. His direction to you, it's clear, but it's risky. 
the outcome for you in your own thinking, you're like, this is uncertain. I don't know how this will work. I know he's saying this. I know he's commanded this. I know that obedience or faith in his promise requires that I do this. But I don't see how it's going to work. The outcome is uncertain. But you know you need to do it. You, you know you need to have the hard conversation. You know that he's telling you, you need to make this move. You know he's telling you, you've got to make a sacrifice. There's something he's asking of you. It's very clear. You've got to let this thing go. You've got to give it up. Abraham obeys even when he doesn't fully understand. Another thing about Abraham's obedience, he obeys fully. He fully obeys. You see this in verse 5. Abram moves everything and everyone, all of his relatives, all of their possessions, all of the people associated with his enterprise, his herdsmen, his staff, There's nothing left behind. There's no one left behind. He fully commits to obeying, fully commits to obedience to God's command. He doesn't, he could have done this. He could have said, I'm not sure how this is going to work out. I have no idea where we're going. I don't know if I'm going to have the resources to handle it. Let's leave behind kind of a base camp. Let's leave behind sort of a fallback second home in case this does not work out. He he, he doesn't keep his feet in two places. Those words in verse 1, God speaking to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house. Remember who he's talking to. Abram was a person who highly valued family. Abraham had always lived under the direction and support of the family, of the tribe. And God called Abram to get out from home love, from family love, and from secure love. And this is God's call for everyone here who is a Christian. Christ requires everything from you. He wants everything from you. To those who love family and love security, Jesus says you've got to be willing to leave houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands. You've got to be willing to leave all of that, any of that, for my name's sake. Are you willing? that call to you it could be maybe not family maybe not your close relations not not home place it could be he's calling you to be willing to leave all of your money you remember to the rich young ruler Jesus said if you want to follow me sell all that you have and give it to the poor and come follow me Jesus calls us to give all of our money to his will. But maybe it's not your money. It could be your comfort. It could be that Jesus is challenging you to be willing for him to give up everything that's comfortable for you, everything that makes your life feel secure, predictable. To Paul, the Lord said, Paul must suffer many things for my name's sake. Paul knew up front, Jesus said, if you follow me, you're going to have to suffer a lot for me. Jesus calls us to give all of our comfort to him. Hebrews 11 talks about kind of a worst case scenario of how that could play out. Hebrews 11 speaks about the trials of the righteous who believe and they lose all of their comforts, some of them. There were women tortured, it says. There were men who were stoned to death. Some of the believers were sawn into two pieces. Some of them were homeless. If it's not your comfort and your security, he could be calling you for him to give up, to be willing to give up your status, to be willing to lose all of your reputation. Jesus calls us to become the off-scouring 
of the earth, to become scum and deplorable to this world. If Jesus calls you to serve, if he calls you to serve away from your home, would you? If Jesus were to call you to become a missionary or to enter the ministry, even if you were at an older age in life, would you? If Jesus were to make it clear he was calling you to enter into the service and the sacrifice of foster care or to adopt a child, even when you enter your later years, would you? Because Abram believes, Abram obeys. Abram leaves the homeland of his father, the comfort and security of family. How about you? Are you all the way in with Jesus? You know the devotional, Our Daily Bread? It it tells the famous story of a man named William Borden. And this is what it says. In 1904, William Borden was the heir to the Borden Dairy Estate. I believe that company is still in business, is still putting stuff on grocery shelves. In 1904, William Borden graduated from a Chicago high school, a millionaire. 1904, a million dollars then, today, $34 million. He graduated from high school worth $34 million. His parents gave him a trip around the world, traveling through Asia, the Middle East, and Europe. It gave Borden a a burden for the world's hurting people. And as he traveled, he wrote home and he said, I'm going to give my life to prepare for the mission field. Seeing all the need in those countries, he decided, I want to go to the mission field. When he made his decision, he wrote in the back of his Bible two words. No reserves. He turned down high-paying job offers after he graduated from Yale University. He entered two more words in his Bible. No retreats. Then he completed studies at Princeton Seminary, and he was ready to go on the mission field. William Borden sailed for China to work with Muslims in China. He stopped first in Egypt to make some preparations, and while he was there, he got sick with cerebral meningitis, and he died within a month. And you might look at that and say, what a waste. In his Bible, underneath the words, no reserves, no retreats, he had written the words, no regrets. He had nothing held back from Christ. There was for him no going back from Christ. No reserves, no retreats, and no regrets. What What would make you willing? to give that all up, to do all that, to leave what you love, to leave whom you love, what would make you willing to do that? You would have to see Jesus Christ in the gospel. In the gospel, Jesus is the one who left his family lands and left his father's house to go to a distant land, not to receive blessing there, but he would receive cursing. And he did that so that you could receive his greatness. The Bible says, cursed is the one who hangs on a tree. On the cross, Jesus is the one whom they curse, and God himself cursed him so that we who believe could be blessed by God. Jesus left everything and received cursing. And because Jesus did that, because Jesus did that, if you're a believer, you could leave everything and you could receive the blessing. Christ made himself nothing so that we could receive 
greatness. And at this point, let me just make one more observation. Some of us struggle with assurance of salvation. Some of us struggle to know, am I really saved? Have I truly believed? And we're often afraid that we haven't truly believed. And that if we haven't believed, then, then we're not saved. The point of, of that kind of worry can, can involve the quality of your faith. You wonder, well, have I had real faith? Have I had enough faith to be saved? Have I truly believed? And you can even end up with, with people, not just children, not just young adults, but you can end up with people who even into their old age, they're tormented with thinking, I'm scared that I'm not saved. I'm, I'm all tangled up about my faith. Is it real faith? Is, is the caliber of my faith correct? But you need to recognize this. You've got to recognize this. If, if you're someone like that and you've struggled for years with this assurance, lacking assurance, you've been faithful. You've been faithful to leave. You've been faithful to obey God. Your life shows the kind of obedience of a person who's trying to follow Jesus. For you, this is what the pattern of your life has shown. For you, obedience to Jesus matters. When you're disobedient to Jesus, it pains you. It troubles you. This is the point. Faith, if you have this real faith, it results in obedience. Not full obedience, not perfect obedience, not unremitting perfect obedience so that you've never sinned against. That's ridiculous. The Bible doesn't teach that. But it means this. Even if your obedience, your record now, since you believed, even if it looks small and looks all tattered, your heart is aching to be more obedient and that's why you grieve when you sin. Psalm 119.20, this is you. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules, God, at all times. And when you fail, when you do evil, the evil that you would not do, Romans 7, those are your words. What a wretch I am. Who is going to deliver me from this body of death and sin? Your obedience, as small as it may look, your anguish over your disobedience, that indicates faith. Let, let that increase your assurance. Let your obedience, even if it's small, let that obedience encourage you that you have faith, even if it's small. And so God's big promise calls us to believe. God's big promise calls us to leave. And God's big promise calls us to delight. This is our last thing. Delight and declare. There's one more thing that you've got to see about Abram's life. His life involves a lot of waiting. A lot of waiting. Now, isn't it the case that it's, it's one thing if you've got a, a test and you've submitted the test and you have to wait a week before you're going to get the results. Did I pass? Did I fail? Am I sick or am I okay? And that week, waiting for that week can feel like forever and you just can't get it out of your mind. It's hard to wait for a week. It's hard to wait for months. It is hard to wait, though, for decades And that is what Abraham has to do. And he will even have to wait longer than the end of his life for some of the things in God's big promise. There is a lot of waiting in the latter life of Abraham. Have you been waiting on God for anything? Have you been waiting on God for a long time about anything? For a spouse? Waiting for a child? Waiting for a child to turn? Well, here's what our text tells us. Waiting shouldn't stop worship. Waiting shouldn't stop worship. Today, if you're a believer, you can, 
even if you're waiting, even if you've been waiting for years, you can delight and declare. When life feels like it's on pause and nothing is moving forward, you can still engage with God and you can still engage in exalting him. When life feels like you're just wandering around aimlessly and you're wondering like, are we going to be moving forward? Are we going to start anytime, God? And nothing seems to be moving forward. You can still enter into the delight in God. Delay. His delays doesn't prevent you from delighting in him. This is in, in verses 5 through 9. And here in verses 5 through 9, Abram arrives in the land of Canaan. You think, oh, oh, that's the promise fulfilled, right? Then in verse 7, God appears to Abram and says, this is the land. To your descendants, I will give this land. But the context is, Abraham doesn't have any descendants. He is 75. And Abram, at this arrival in Canaan, he hasn't arrived. He's going to keep moving further and further south, verses 8 and 9. He just got to see the land, but he's continuing to transit through. All that Abram has is a promise. Still no son, still no settlement. Abram has to keep wandering and waiting for God's promise to come true. But the waiting doesn't stop him from worshiping. Look at verse 7. Abram built an altar to the Lord. Verse 8, moving away, he does it again. Abram built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. That word of God is enough. It's enough for him. The appearance of God to him, it's enough. And though the promise still isn't here, still hasn't arrived, it doesn't stop Abram from worshiping God. And today, you may have nothing more than a promise on a page of your Bible. You may be tortured and tormented about something. And all you have from God, all that you're holding on to is some promise that he wrote there. Maybe his promise to you was, I will never leave you or forsake you. That's all you have. Can you keep worshiping? Maybe, maybe what your struggle is, is you lost a child. But you've got this promise. Your child, he will not come to you, but you will go to him. Maybe what you are waiting on the Lord for is something tomorrow that you're scared, you're scared straight about it. You've got fear about tomorrow. You've got this promise though, don't you? And it's just a promise that seems so weak, especially in the middle of the night when you're waking in anxiety. You've got this promise. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Waiting on God can't stop you from worshiping God. Job, when he had lost everything, fortune, family, his health, Job fell on his face and worshiped God. Can you worship while you wait? Can you worship God in your prayer closet, even if it's mingled with tears and fears? Can you worship God in the congregation when you just feel like you're just wandering through life, can you show up for worshiping him? Pray in the assembly? Sing together with one voice to the Lord? Sit under the preaching of his word? Can you come to the table of the Lord? There's another curious thing here. Verse eight, and this is the very last thing. Abram built the altar and worshiped, and Abram called on the name of the Lord. That little phrase, called on the name of the Lord, what does that mean? Well, one thing that it means is that Abraham devoted himself to the Lord. He said, Lord, I am yours. He devoted himself. But Martin Luther also adds this in, calling on the name of the Lord. Martin Luther says, it means that Abram 
preached. It means that Abram declared the name of the Lord. Wherever he went with this wandering that just played out while he was waiting on the Lord, Abram promoted the Lord wherever he was. While he waited, Abraham declared the existence and declared the invitation of the Lord to the people and the places where he was wandering. While you wait, while you wait for the day when God's promises will finally come true for you, will you worship? While you wait for the day when God's promises finally come true, will you tell others? Will you tell others what you're waiting for God to do? Will you tell people what God has promised you? Can you? Can you delight in him and declare as you wait? Let's pray. Lord, we come to you and we acknowledge that there are things that you have done. You've given your son. He died, he's risen, he's ascended, and he is coming back. And that's one thing that we are waiting for. And we pray and cry with longing in our hearts, come, Lord Jesus, come, Maranatha. And so, Lord, today, as we wait, give us hope to wait, to find delight in you as we wait, and to worship you and to declare you to the world while we wait. In Jesus' name and for his glory we pray. Amen.